Welcome to the Pop Ninja Podcast, where we reminisce about the pop culture of the 70s, 80s, and beyond. From bell-bottom jeans to parachute pants, from Panama Jack shirts to members-only jackets, from Smurfs and Scooby-Doo to Thundar the Barbarian. If you had a Rubik's Cube, wore a Swatch Watch, was crazy about Max Headroom, or ever wondered who shot JR, then this podcast is where you will feel right at home. Now, jump in the DeLorean time machine and join your hosts, Lisa and Patrick, as they take you on a pop culture adventure through the greatest decades of all time. Hello out there in podcast land and welcome to another totally awesome episode of the Pop Ninja Podcast. I'm Patrick Bennett coming to you from the swamps of Southwest Louisiana and joining me over Zoom from her bed and breakfast in Pennsylvania is my co-host, Miss Lisa Everett. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Patrick. Hey, on this episode, we'll be visiting with a very special guest, a Hollywood TV movie producer, Mr. Dick Atkins. Hello, Mr. Atkins. How's it going? You're fine, fine, Patrick and Lisa. How are you? Very Hello. Good. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be with us on our podcast and letting us uh, pick your brain about your work on television. Oh, my um, pleasure. So how, how was your Thanksgiving? You had a good one? Oh, it's very quiet. Very <laughs> We're quiet. unfortunately across the coast from our son. Oh. So we had to make do with a, with a Zoom video call and, uh, and uh, then just the two of us. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it was nice nonetheless. Thanks. That's a modern family with their Zoom yeah. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, our, our podcast focuses on uh, pop culture from the 70s and 80s. So you fall right in with that because uh, you were making TV movies during the 80s. And uh, first off, uh, I'd like to know how it all started for you. Uh, how, how did you end up being a television producer? That's fascinating. Well, yes, you picked the, the exact period in the 70s and 80s. Um, because I was working for one of the big ad agencies in New York. Um, and uh, we had several uh, very big advertising clients, uh, most particularly Procter & Gamble and General Foods. And there was the idea, I was working in uh, what was called the, the TV department as part of the media department. Um, which was largely, of course, buying commercials from the television networks for um, the big advertising clients. Uh, but I wasn't involved in that side of buying the commercials. What we got involved in and had the idea for was to go back to the early days of television when the advertisers actually produced the programming. Uh, the advertisers would, uh, you know, sort of like the U.S. Steel Hour and the Kraft uh, Music Hour and things like that from, from a long, long time ago. And the advertisers would actually put up the money to make the programs and, and buy the time slots, you know, first on the radio networks and then the TV networks. And our idea was that that could work again. And this was about the mid-70s, uh, as you were talking about. And we figured for those clients, rather than just buying, you know, assorted commercials in, uh, in a million different programs. And, uh, and uh, one thing that also was happening, we found, um, 
was at that time, the each of the networks, and it was just the three of them, CBS, NBC, and ABC, each had like two to three movie nights, CBS Tuesday night movie, um, you know, ABC Sunday night movie, that, that sort of thing. Right. And the advertisers might have bought commercials in those movie nights in advance. But of course, they never knew what those movies were going to be um, in advance. So they would find out a couple of days before the airing. So when I was young there, they would send me over to a screening service and I would watch the movie to see if it was an appropriate, quote, appropriate movie uh, for the advertisers to show their commercials in. Um, one of the advertisers didn't like violence and the other one didn't like sex. And I forget now which, which was which. Uh, but sometimes I would have to come back from the screening service and say, you know what, this isn't appropriate for General Foods, you know, we're out. Um, and uh, so we figured that we might be able to solve two problems at once. That if we arrange for our own television movies on behalf of the clients, uh, that we could control the kind of movie that they were in, that they, that they, that they backed and where the commercials ran. And that if we did our job well, and actually made good movies uh, and bought the time slots from the networks by two two-hour blocks to show an original or rerun of, of a movie, that if we took all the commercial time in those, and in those days it was 12 minutes an hour of commercials. So that would, that would give us uh, uh, 24 commercials, you know, in the, and minutes of commercials in a two-hour movie over two runs um, and that if we did a good rating for that divided up the 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 cost of our commercials that way uh, considering the production cost and promotion cost and the buying of the time slot from the network that if we did a good enough rating we could beat the metric that they called for their what they called their long-term commercial packages. I, I this is getting a little in the weeds, I know, um, but you know, in other words, uh, if um, if they're just buying their commercial packages from the networks, in which they would do in advance, generally speaking, um, in a particular show, it might cost them. I'm just picking a number out of the air. Um, you ten dollars to reach a thousand people, right? If we did a better rating in a program we controlled and they paid for, and we divided all, all the way down, we might be able to get them to be paying $8 to reach 1,000 people. So we might be able to save them money and control the program that their commercials ran in and to, to know that it was, quote, again, appropriate uh, program for their commercials and save them money at the same time. That was our idea. And that started to work really well. And we, we started to make dozens of those. And uh, first we were doing it as the advertising agency, the middleman. You know, we would, we would find an idea from an outside producer, deal with that producer, back it with our advertiser, place it on a network, 
And we would be the middleman for all that. And how I became a producer myself was we finally figured, why do we need outside producers to do this? When we're arranging it pretty much from start to finish ourselves, why don't we, and at that time it was three of us primarily, uh, why don't we become the production company within the agency and we can produce the programs ourselves and profit from doing that in effect and still do a great job for the agency. And if it happened to be a movie idea that the clients didn't think was appropriate for them, we could then do that directly for the networks also. And we did both, that's how we started to do both of those. And of the three of us, one, one guy was the president of it because he had been uh, uh, head of programming at the agency. And one guy was primarily the guy who went and sold the ideas to the networks. And I was thrown out in the field and said, now make this thing, <laughs> now make this movie. So no pressure. <laughs> so no pressure at all. I learned producing uh, on the fly, um, you know, from what, what I had uh, figured out from when we were being the middleman on, on, uh, on a dozen movies. But now it was a whole different ballgame. Now, now it was a make it. And I had a lot of lessons to learn. And there are stories about that, of course, you know, in the process. But uh, that's how it got started. Nice. It, that sounds awesome. It sounds brilliant to me, uh, the, the whole concept of how you did that. Well, it worked very well for, for a good while, particularly when television movies were still a big business. And there were, since each of the networks had you know, several movie nights apiece, they were each making at least, you know, 25 television movies a season. So you had a lot of those being made and it was, uh, it was a big business at that point. And um, it disappeared for a good while uh, if, uh, when they kind of went out of favor. And now in these days of, uh, of streaming, you know, with Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Disney and everybody else, um, it's becoming a thing again. And it's sort of a hybrid, you know, people will make a movie directly for Netflix or directly for Amazon, you know, is that a TV movie or is that a feature film right. that's, you know, being watched on televisions, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. you can. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a jumble now. Yeah. Well, and in all the, in the, the Hallmark movies and the Lifetime movies, they're, they're all, um, you know, they're, they're, they, put them out like like a ton a season you know so, absolutely absolutely yeah. and uh, we we mimic that a bit particularly with general foods we started what we call general foods golden showcase and um and uh, uh that became sort of the 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 overall brand for the movies that we put out in general foods is name um including the gift of love and christmas story oh <laughs> which, yeah. which, my favorite which, movie <laughs> which, which is one of the one of the early ones that we did for for general foods they they backed the movie and uh, and it was all filled if you went back and watched an original tape of it it was all general foods commercials <laughs> filling that's it so up cool that's really cool though i yeah. mean it, 
Yeah, because like, you know, I I we I think about like the commercials that are on TV now, they don't even like do products anymore. They do like they're in for insurance and uh, prescription medication just about, you know, there's no actual product. A lot. So, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah. Well, that's why this idea works so well for big major advertisers like Procter & Gamble General Foods yeah. that had, you know, dozens and dozens of products. So you could fill up you know, 28 commercials and no one would ever know the difference. Yeah, I never would have realized that was going on, that the, the actual uh, company that, that you're watching in a commercial was the one that, um, you know, funded the, the, the movie. Right. The, uh, the, only, thing, really the cool. only thing that would give you a clue in the case of General Foods was us calling it General Foods Golden Showcase and yeah. and, uh, and having like a gold bar being poured, you know, with their logo <laughs> on it at the beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah. That, that might give you a little clue but even then you probably yeah. wouldn't realize no you wouldn't right. you wouldn't think they made the movie you that's know right. that's yeah that's, that's because right. you thought the movie was separate from the, right. the advertising but that's really cool that they were together it's really never i never realized that that's that's really a cool fun fact that we just learned you know <laughs> yeah did you know that patrick that they that yeah. they used to do that I, okay oh, yeah. i didn't know that you, you yeah. know you were talking about uh out, you know, it's kind of a different animal now with the streaming services and stuff. But uh, I think people who didn't grow up back when we did um, missed out because uh, it was an event. You know, like right now, you can, any time of the day or night, you can watch whatever movie you want. But back then, you knew it was coming out and you had to be there in front of your television to see it or you didn't see it. You know, yeah. I can remember as a kid, uh, like in the 70s and 80s, with when a TV movie was advertised, or especially like a mini series, yeah, like like we we'd be at a ball game or at church or something, and I'm just chomping at the bits, you know, trying to get my dad to take me home so I can <laughs> so I can watch it because you know we we didn't have VCRs yet or anything. No, if you missed it, you missed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so times yeah. have really changed. Yeah, yeah. You know, times change and then they come full circle. Miniseries had gotten to be a big thing you know, in the, in the late seventies and, and eighties, and then they disappeared. They went totally out of favor. Um, and now, interestingly, you know, nobody talks about mini series so much, but they'll talk about limited series, you know, and Netflix will put on a series, you know, like the Queen's Gambit, you know, is it right. all the rating now on Netflix, you know, and it's eight episodes or 10 episodes or whatever it is, you know, and they'll, they'll call it a limited series. Well, essentially what it is, is a, is a mini series. And uh, because people will always like a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's why they like, you know, what we call serialized series rather than episodic series, which were the usual for decades, you know, where each episode stood on its own, you know, each Andy Griffith show episode or you know, whatever, the, you know, Marcus Welby episode, you know, with, it, it stood on its own until until the shows like Lost and whatnot started to tell ongoing stories. And uh, and they became what, what they call serialized television. And now now that's, you know, all the rage, particularly on everything other than the broadcast networks. So, yeah, it's so different. Yeah. 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 Things go through cycles. But those uh, those TV movies and, and miniseries, they were major events. I mean, like yeah. v, when V came out, I remember going to school and that's all anybody was talking about for weeks. Absolutely. You remember yeah. when Roots came out? Roots, and, uh, yeah. Centennial. Shogun. You know, they they, they the literally. Shogun, yeah. The Thorn Birds. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, yeah. you know, because 
it was a communal experience, even though everybody's sitting in their living rooms, as we said, everybody's watching the same thing at the same time, you know, and, we, you know, talking about the ratings again, when you talk about, you know, 40, 50% of the public watching the same thing at the same time, you know, while, while um, binging is great, and we do it all the time, binging removes the water cooler effect. Yeah. You know, you can't yeah. the next morning go and talk to all your friends and coworkers and everybody else about what you just saw last night because right. you don't know what they've seen and what they haven't or where in the season they are of watching the Queen's Gambit or something. That's you know? right. <laughs> and uh, so it, it removes a whole aspect that used to be very cool to uh, to the shared experience of TV, sure. Yeah. I, can't, I can't tell you, you know, again, to get in the weeds a little bit, but when you, you know, in in the advertising business or the TV business itself, you know, everything rests rested on ratings, you know, and it still does. Um, but if I told you the difference between ratings um, from those days to now, you wouldn't believe it because there are so many, you know, channels and, you know, cable channels and streamers and the audience is so splintered in so many pieces. But in those days, as you say, there were three networks to watch and we all watched the same things. And for a movie like The Gift of Love Christmas Story, we did something in the neighborhood of, I believe, um, a rating, if I'm remembering right, about a 28. We might even have approached a 30 rating. And that, what that means, what a, what a rating point means, is that, that that's the percentage of all of the television households in America. Mm. So if you do a 30 rating, that means 30% of all the television households in America, which at that time were about, give or take, 100 million, 30% of them were watching your show. Wow. Now imagine that these days. These days, if you do a three rating, you're a hit. It's yeah. huge. There, there we were doing 25, 28, 30 ratings. And, then, and the other metric was, was called a share, it still is. And the difference between a rating and a share is a rate, or the rating point is, is the percentage of all the households in America. The share is the percentage of all of the televisions on at that time. So we might do, you know, like a 28 rating and a 45 share meaning 45% of all of the televisions that are on at the moment are watching your program. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine yeah. that happening now. Now it would have to be the Super Bowl, <laughs> you know, yeah. right. to, to yeah. even approach something like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I was fascinated by that. I didn't, didn't know anything about like the movie making stuff. So that's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, why on uh, The Gift of Love, why was it, it why, what made you do a Christmas story? You know, like about Christmas, like, you know, is that- Well, what of, the, course, the, of course we were always looking for, you know, just great stories, number one. Um, and uh, and Christmas, of course, is so, always such an evergreen thing. And there had been, classic Christmas stories always in, in the movies mm -hmm. and on television. But in the early days of television movies, of course, there hadn't been many television movies in that area yet. You know, in the, in the, in the features, we always 
had uh, had uh, it's a wonderful life and miracle on 34th street and you know the, the wonderful classic christmas movies mm-hmm. and tv needed some of those you know it did yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> did and and there weren't many yet and when we found a very sweet little short story um called the silent stars go by uh by a woman named best streeter aldrich um, and uh, it was a very sweet little story. There wasn't a whole lot to it. It was a pretty short story, maybe 10 page short story. But we said, you know, when we came across things like that, we said, hey, this might be a nice story, you know, if it was expanded and, you know, in the right way. And we brought the right people together with it, right writers and stars and such and such. And, and of course, the thought was, if you can, particularly with something like a Christmas movie, that if you can do it well, and it does well on the network, it cannot just play that once or play that twice, but you can keep on playing it more times, which fortunately did happen with The Gift of Love. The CBS showed it five times before it ever went to, to any syndication or other airings. I'm spreading a rumor downstairs saying the store's closing. We are in bad shape, Janet. Hotter, hotter. That's the boy. <laughs> What's the matter, Grandma? Oh. Janet, wait. I, I can't be with you right now. I have to. I'll walk home. I was dreaming of the secret place. What is the secret place, Mother? We used to go there, your father and I. I used to look for it when I was a little girl. home. Sometimes home is the best remedy there is. Christmas ghost is late this year. What do you make of it? Is everything all right, Aunt Min? We saw the man that was here. I didn't say any man, just a ghost that comes at Christmas. Nobody on the way! losing them, Dad. Somewhere along the line, I've, I've lost my marriage. Then you must find it. Where do I look? There's a place we're going to build together, a secret place for just the two of us. And, um, and then, unfortunately, when the, as the world changed, it disappeared for about 25 years. <laughs> and I guess we'll get into that, you know, when, whenever you want a little bit later. But uh, until people started uh, sending messages and I would see messages on IMDb uh, saying, where is this movie? Why can't I find the gift of love, a Christmas story? You know, it was my grandmother's favorite movie. It was my mother's favorite movie. It was my favorite movie. 
you know, which only made me feel older and older and older. <laughs> you know, their grandmother's favorite movie. Um, and well, uh, well, why can't I find this on DVD? And I'm thinking to myself, well, because I didn't have DVDs when we made that movie. Um, so, so I decided just to take the, the best production tapes I still had on the shelf and, uh, and have DVDs made. And I started to offer them to the people on IMDb who were leaving messages. And um, uh, they were very thankful and, and that was working great. And I figured if I can find a way to offer them a little more widely, uh, that would be great. And I started out with Amazon who had a service where they would do a, a create on demand of your DVD. You sent them the DVD master uh, and all the artwork and whatnot. And if somebody ordered it on Amazon, they would create the DVD and send it off. And, uh, and, uh, and that started to work really great. And then I ended up beyond that with a, with a DVD distributor. And then I started streaming it on Amazon and then streaming it other places through the distributor. And, and uh, that's, that was great. And I, got, I think I got a little far off the field from, uh, a field from your question, but, um, <laughs> but that's kind of how it was, was so popular in those days, then had a hiatus for 25 years. <laughs> and then and then I was able to bring it back and thankfully that's that's worked out and brought some people some uh, some uh, joy I think in in seeing it again well I, I bought it for 10 people and sent it out to different people and my friend Brenda's my latest person I sent it to in Canada so it's it's making the rounds from me I, I know that that's great I appreciate yeah. that yeah I love it and, and Patrick just saw it he just saw it just recently yeah i just watched it and during uh, our thanksgiving together with uh, the family i was telling them about it so they're going to try to find it on i told them it was on tubi uh yes actually the distributor uh, through the distributor just put it on tubi also yeah so they're going to try to look for it this week yeah yeah well when Great. you said about um your grandma liked it, it that's probably because of the people that were in it like angela lansbury and oh absolutely you know every, everybody been, she's still her. around she <laughs> is still around i mean she's 95 years old so yeah that, <laughs> angela that's was, uh, you know whenever you want we'll, we'll talk about the fabulous ladies sure that were in it but yeah uh, she, she was terrific so warm and down to earth and uh, just a pleasure to work with, besides being a tremendous talent. There's no question okay. about that. Well, well, you can talk about how you, uh, the making of the movie, how you cast yeah. it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you while we're on Angela, the one thing she really was unhappy with, you know, Angela came with her, with her husband, Peter, at the time, after we had edited it and, and put it together and we showed it to them up at the ad agency afterwards. And she was only unhappy with one thing. And she said, oh my God, I'm, I'm playing like a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking so old. <laughs> well, uh, well, she she, we said, well, she sorry, was the, gra she was the grandma. Heart, you know? yeah, she was the grandma. You know, yeah. Yeah, well, um, what she probably was what it, she would have been like in her late 50s maybe? probably in her 50s at the time yeah, yes yeah. yeah because lee well lee remick and and polly holiday that were in it I, I i when i think about this it's it's like i can't believe that lee remick was a year older than polly holiday was in the movie 
when, you, when the movie when the movie was made. Right. Like, yeah. Right. When the, he was when older, was playing her aunt. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. but she looked older, you know. So it, it well, worked. Lee Lee looked fabulous still, and uh, of course, and uh, boy, I forget how old she was at the time. She I think probably, she was. I think she was forty-seven, and and I, that's um, what Holly, I was say, her Holly 40, Holiday was forty-six, her forty somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Lee was was so fabulous too. And the uh, the only sad thing is that people don't remember her as much now. Oh, you know, I remember. I remember from the Omen. Younger, you know? younger people don't know her and don't yeah. remember her, um, beca because of course, tragically, she she died not that long after, you know, yeah. after a tough bout with cancer. Yeah. Uh, but she was one of the great movie stars, you know, of that era. Yeah, when she um, was young, she did a lot of movies. Sixties and seventies, and, and yeah. So. You know, as big as they both were, you know, in in our movie, Lee was the big star. Yeah. You, you know, at the time and first billing and all of that. And Angela was fabulously accomplished even by then. But uh, but Lee was Lee was something special, too. And um, so how, yeah. well, how did you how did you um, cast the movie? Because I know like backing up a little bit when you were talking about the the story the small story that you had you know i did read that um earl hamner then co-wrote the the movie yes he, he must have added to it he he wrote it um he wrote the script um and yes he had to he had to we had to talk to him and he you know greatly enhanced um the script and actually there's an interesting interview that you can probably find on the internet on youtube i might i might even have put it on the on my YouTube channel, uh, there, that Earl, before he died, gave an interview, and he was talking about the movie a good bit. And it's he said he he does good Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, people people know him from doing the Waltons, the TV show, the Waltons. Yes, of course, the yeah. of course the, the Waltons and and its predecessor movie, The Homecoming. Um, and uh, Earl was a, you know a, a great writer. Um, uh, and uh, he, even though on this movie and another one we did with him, I, I had to rewrite a good bit of the script myself in the background, which, which I did on this one too, even just before we were producing and, and while we were filming. Um, you know, sometimes you have to rewrite on the fly and I was doing that in the background. Um, but, but Earl was terrific and had a very, obviously everybody knows from the Waltons, he has a very, uh, uh, warm and, and like family community for family situations yeah. and, yeah. and family writing and character writing. And, um, so he took what, what was, a, as I said, a very brief short story and he expanded it into you know one that was was very meaningful all around and there's little bits i think of himself sprinkled here and there um you know in uh, in maybe even uh, places or names that he used and whatnot but, were you yeah. were you working in new york is that where like yes yeah, so our production okay. company was in new york okay yeah yeah, yeah. and but but then you went to um, Vermont to make the so movie. Of course, we filmed it in Vermont. Yes, yeah. uh, we we based ourselves in Burlington, Vermont, um, the the big city in yeah. Vermont, and uh, and we filmed around the Burlington area, 
And we, then we had to find a small little town, a, a beautiful little little town with a great town square to, uh, to be our, uh, our little home where, where, uh, where the family lived. And we found Chelsea, Vermont, which is a small little, little town village, uh, maybe about an hour, hour and a half from Burlington. Um, and uh, that worked really well, had a, had a lovely uh, square and we built a gazebo for the town, uh, which obviously appears in the movie. Um, and, um, and that worked great. And, uh, and of course, you know, in Vermont, we, being in Vermont, we figured, well, we're not gonna have any problem with snow, you know, we'll be up in Vermont in the winter. And we were we were trying to finalize the deal with the with CBS, um, you know, probably toward the end of the year. In in eighty two, we were getting the uh, the script ready, and, uh, and then we had it all budgeted out and ready and waiting for their approval. You know, around around and it's getting to be January and February, and we're trying to push the network a little bit. You know. And, uh, and uh, we're saying, you know, this is a Christmas movie. We need snow. <laughs> and, you know, and their answer was a pretty simple one. They said, this is Hollywood, make snow. <laughs> and okay. so by the time they gave us approval and we were up in Vermont in, in uh, sort of March and April or April, May, I think March and April, as I recall. And of course there was no snow. And, and oh. so we, we had to do what they suggested, demanded. And um, it was even too warm during the day to create snow. So we, mm. we, uh, we hired um, snowblower equipment and people from the ski resorts to come over and sit there all night long, waiting for it to get cold enough at night that they could actually blow snow the way they do on the ski slopes. And that's finally how we covered the town square in snow and the yards outside the houses and things like that. And then we had to use every little Hollywood trick in the book in those days from cotton to shaving cream. <laughs> I get the ivy soap, soap flakes out, yeah. What about soap flakes falling out of a barrel above the camera? Yeah, what about the um, the scenes with the horse and the sleigh? How'd you do that? Um, you mean as far as snow is concerned? Or yeah, or yeah, because the whole first scene of the movie is like with, with when, well, when she first, she when she goes back home, is that scene? I love that scene with the with the sleigh. Yes. Oh my God, it's a favorite thing after they. Yeah, made. I love that. I love it. So, <laughs> like, what's what's to, up with that? Yeah. It's in the movie promo. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, how they do that was that the main thing with the sleigh? Well, of course, we just uh, you know had our had our uh, prop people you know find a sleigh, uh, um, and a, and a team of horses, uh, and. Um, for that first scene where the sleigh appears when the family is called outside their house, yeah. presumably in Ohio, which was actually in Burlington, uh, Vermont, uh, that beautiful house that we used. Uh, I love that house. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's a great house. And, and that's how the house existed outside and inside, all that beautiful woodwork and whatnot. And when they come out and uh, grandpa's standing there, you know, by the sleigh, 
and it's snowing. Uh, we had uh, placed, I, I believe, sort of like rolls of cotton and whatnot on the ground. And we had, uh, quote, snowflakes falling out of a barrel above the camera. At the yeah. Now, oh, yeah. Now, now uh, when I watch it again, I'm never going to see it in the same. You, know, you won't see it the same again. I'm going to like no, sorry, be looking sorry for about the hot, that. Balls, yeah. you know the little, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the dirt behind it. You, yeah. You can't watch it the same. Oh, but no. then, of course, uh, we, it cuts to uh, that scene out in the woods. We, we then went to the Chelsea area in Vermont, the small town. We used the woods uh, and roads outside of that. Uh, made what snow we needed, particularly at night, for sort of a, a sliding through the woods, and then um, we we came into the town of Chelsea with the, with the sleigh, and it uh, started just behind some of the buildings, and it started just behind what is the general store that we used on the on the side of the square. Made its way across the town square, which we had finally been able to cover with with blown snow, blown real snow and uh and on from there and there we uh, there we had it but one, one of my most favorite things about it too is, yeah. is, is that is that sleigh that that's one of my favorite but then the mini um version of the the whole town in the beginning yes. at, at the department store yes that's that town right like made into a yes movie. very few people actually realize that that's what lee remick's character janet was doing there she that's was cool. recreating when she was you know running the helping run the town department store, the the department store in Ohio, uh, in the Christmas display in the in the uh, in the window, yeah. she was recreating her hometown from her childhood. And so who made that for the movie? Like so, who, oh well our prop people, our prop and set people. I, I love it. <laughs> of course. And so yes, if you do pay attention, go back and look at that particular window dressing in there and then compare it to the town of Chelsea, Vermont, where they go later on, you know, where the, where the sleigh passes, you'll see the same church, you know, and the, yeah. and the same town gazebo and, and, uh, and yeah. all of that same sleigh and a horse and everything spot yeah. that she was modeling in the window. And that of course is the sleigh, of course, that she's creating from the opening shot. Um, and then the, she comes and places that sleigh in the in the in the display in the window. That's right. And it's a recreation of her childhood home. That is so and cool. Of course, the, that she then you know dreams about returning to. I know. It's like when we all like to go back and and live our childhood again, like and be sure, with the people. The whole the whole theme of the movie. You know. I love it. It makes me where we're I, where we're loved and comforted and and uh, you know yes. and, uh, the trials and tribulations of. Uh, of life outside. Yeah, you know, I know. Can, I, that, I love, that's why I love it so much. I mean, it, it, cause my mom's name is Janet and that's Lee Remick's character is Janet. Right. And then um, it was filmed in Vermont, which my aunt Sharon lived in Vermont. So I have that. And then the whole house reminds me of my grandparents' house and like with the <laughs> antiques and stuff. And so I feel like a personal connection to it. Plus I feel like Dorothy and Michael were like me and my brother at that age, you know? And so like Dorothy was kind of like a tomboy. So oh, I, yeah. I, used, I used to beat up all the boys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I relate, you know, so I yes, love it. Great, I, just, great. I relate to the whole thing. Yeah. yeah so you know, so many people have said that through the years that they related in so many different ways to to the characters in the movie, to the story of the movie, which is very gratifying, of course, 
you know, even to the point where I had several messages, but one in particular that said she so identified with the Aunt Min character, with Polly Holiday, and her Christmas Rose story with, with the love she couldn't have, because that was her life, this one woman who was writing to me. And she said, you know, I had that person and, and we couldn't be together. And we would see one another every once in a while and the spark was always there. And it was so sad for me. Yeah. And so I so identified with that character and those scenes, and and it was really touching. I uh, well, did you? Who wrote that part of the the movie? Because I love that. There's like a cu- cu- couple different stories going on. There's like the main story, and then there's that backstory with with her and sure. and yeah, with the Christmas ghost. Um, that that was largely from Earl, mm-hmm. from Earl Hamner, um, and uh, then I don't remember that that Aunt Min story. It's been oh my god how long since I read the the, uh, the original short story, but I don't know that I remember that part of the story being in the original short story. So I would imagine that was mostly Earl and oh. whatever I had to rewrite for him. Okay. Yeah, because it's it is sad. It, it the the movie itself it's like it's very um like it's it's so touching and heartwarming, but it it it's sad too because like that you know somebody like living their whole life and never loving anybody else but the one person that they couldn't have you know absolutely that's right it's it's depressing (laughs) well so often you know christmas yes you know all all the holidays as we know we're not always you know all all wonderful all you know pumpkin pie and whatever it's uh they're they're very bittersweet yeah you know particularly when we've lost people and can't share those holidays anymore so so many people you know would write and say you know I used to watch this movie every year with my mother and she died you know five years ago and I so miss it you know and and you know I so identify with losing your mother the way the way Janet does in the in the movie and you know, so it's yeah. so the movie is bittersweet on purpose. Yeah. Um, and it's why I think uh, so many people are able to relate to it and right. different aspects of it. Oh, it's a tearjerker. It, it, I mean, and I watched it with my friend Mary and I didn't realize like how how bad it would like affect her because of how, her, how close she was to her mom and dad. And and yeah. then when that that whole you know, beginning, you know, it's like, um, she was crying and I felt so bad, but she was like, <laughs> but it was also that she was happy because she was remembering. Yes. You know? Yes. Hope, hopefully it's a sadness in, you know, in a good way because yeah. nostalgic. Help, help you identify. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. Right. I love it. It's, it is, it does remind me of a, a girl version of it's a wonderful life. Like yeah. with Lee Remick is the, is the main person so yeah yes yes in and in in a way and you know and it's it's not an accident that it that it uh, um may remind you of that and uh, and and in some of the some of the nicest reviews of the movie they likened it to that i think it was tv guy that compared it in a way to it's a wonderful life yeah um, you know and thinking how things uh, you know 
could or would be um, without you <laughs> or, or if things could be different, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and appreciate what you do have, you, right. you know, all, the, all those themes are sort of running through it also. Yeah. Dick, tell us a little bit about the director of The Gift of Love. Oh, well, yes, the, the director was also a very special man who's gone now a little bit named Delbert Mann. <laughs> so to speak, with two ends in his <laughs> man, and uh, he's a man's Del, man. Yeah, <laughs> Del was a was a very very sweet man, soft spoken, um, tall guy. Had been in the military early, early in his uh, life, and he was an Oscar winner. He was the only, I believe, the only Oscar winner. Not somebody who was nominated, you know, Lee. I don't think Lee ever won an Oscar. What about um, Angela? But did. did Angela win an Oscar? I don't know. You would think after 95 years. that up again. You know, she probably won something in there for a murder she wrote or something. She won an Emmy or something. Yeah, they all won Emmys, you know, up the wazoo. Yeah, but yes. But Dell had won the Oscar for the movie Marty. With Ern with oh, I love that movie. Yeah, I know Ernest that movie. Morton. Wasn't that a yes. wonderful movie? I love that movie. And interestingly, that originated on television um, in the early days of television um, with, with um, um, Rod Steiger playing the part. Oh. On TV. And Delbert had directed that, had directed Rod Steiger in Marty on television. You know, as part of, I forget what it was, U.S. Steel Hour, one of these advertiser-supported television shows that we were talking about earlier. Um, things come full, full circle. And, uh, and then they decided to make the feature film about it. And they felt Rod Steiger wasn't a big enough star. And they got Ernest Borgnine and cast him in the part. And, but uh, Delbert also di uh, directed that. He won the Oscar for it. He was later president of the Directors Guild of America and just the sweetest guy you ever ran across. Um, even in the days when people started to uh, do everything on email and you know electronically, he would still handwrite notes to everybody. Aww. You know, just a sweet guy that way. And his, his wife was wonderful too, and Ann Man. Um, and um, and Her name was Ann Man. Ann Man. Okay. <laughs> uh, yep. His name should have been Stan. Stan, that's right. Stan. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. But um, well, I know that you went back last year to the town of Chelsea, Vermont, where the movie was made, and yes, um, you, you went there and stayed there at a bed and breakfast, right? Yes, we did. We did a bed and breakfast. They asked us, would we come back, uh, Joanna and me? to uh, to show the movie in the in the town library the town hall actually in the little town of Chelsea and I was so happy to to do that uh, because we had been doing that uh, for about five years in in Georgia with murder in Coweta County yeah. aside from the Mayberry days they would invite us back to Georgia where we filmed and where the true story of murder in Quita County took place. And they had brought us back to show the movie and talk to people about the making of the movie and, and that sort of thing. So I was thrilled really to, to be contacted by the, the librarian actually from uh, the library in Chelsea, Vermont and said, would we consider coming up and showing the movie and talking to people about it? 
there. And we said, sure, you know, we, we love that sort of thing. And we, we, we loved getting to go back to the, to, to our little town of Chelsea and to stay there again. And an interesting uh, twist is we were recommended to stay one of the, this uh, bed and breakfast, very nice bed and breakfast, not realizing at the time that the couple who owned the bed and breakfast had owned the department store on the town square that we made the department store for the movie. You, so, mean, you mean the department store that was the um, that was Janet's department store? No, not Janet's department store in in the, that was supposed to be Ohio. That was in Burlington. The oh, little, the little general store. The little oh, general the one that Hannibal Hannibal worked in. Yes, with Hannibal and oh, his yeah. and, and his lovely wife. <laughs> that was their store. It had the little general store, and I'll tell you another little funny thing about. Uh, but that store was actually at that time called Ackerman's general store and the Ackermans were the ones who owned this bed and breakfast <laughs> this, the, now, the same people or like uh same relatives people, same people, same pe same okay. people. yeah wow. mr ackerman is the one who had made the deal with our location manager at the time for us to use his store and they now own the bed and breakfast where we stayed when we, when but we it wasn't there. the same place though it was a different place it's not the same built like actual building that the store was in right it wasn't the bed and breakfast right no, no, the bed and breakfast is just outside of outside town. Uh, yeah, uh, the, I little, the little downtown. Yeah, but, the, um, but because the, the store's store, not there. What was yeah, what was the store then and became our our uh, prince's uh, uh, general store in the movie um, is now split up in a couple of parts. The building is still there, uh, and it's and it's a little art collective and something else on the on the other side of it. Yeah. So it's split in two, but the building, the building is still there. Much of the square is still as it is, as it was then. If anybody gets a chance to, to go up to Vermont and ride through Little Chelsea, that I love that kind of moved, stuff. Yeah. They moved our gazebo. They said they couldn't afford to keep up the maintenance on the gazebo, and so a a, a, a local citizen bought it and moved it to their backyard, <laughs> just just down the road. Um, yeah. Well, uh, what what did they have to do to it? I mean, they just had to like paint it and, and maybe fix it. What didn't seem so difficult to yeah, make? It, you know? I know. I think it would be more expensive to move it. You know. <laughs> you know, yeah. we made this gift to the town, and they, yeah, uh, they took it. it. Disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a big bald spot in the middle of town. Yeah. Yeah, but but that was so great to go to get to go back to Chelsea. And I have to tell you, at the at the time we were filming in this little snack shop in Chelsea they had the best hamburger that <laughs> I had had yeah. in years yeah <laughs> of all things I, I remember bringing Lee over there Lee Remick to to have a hamburger at the lunch counter in this little snack place which unfortunately is not there anymore oh I yeah pointed in that you're all excited to hope, hope for him. Oh, I, you know, that would, 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 about would be the main reason for the trip yeah, yeah. I love that, that kind of stuff I love that yeah the nostalgia yeah yeah Aww. but that was great we got to we got to relive the uh, the the whole experience up there yeah well dick let's uh talk about another movie you worked on uh this one's really piqued my interest i, I haven't seen it yet i watched the promos but i'd love to watch it and that's the uh the murder in coeta county sure yeah <laughs> man what star power you got johnny cash uh, his, his wife andy griffiths 
And, and Andy's playing a, a bad guy in this. Andy plays the bad guy, and Johnny plays the good guy. Yeah. The good sheriff. And I watched and, the promo, uh, and uh, it's weird seeing Andy Griffiths in this type of role. But uh, isn't it? It isn't looks it? like he pulled pulled it off pretty well. You know, people so often say, "Oh my God, why did why didn't they play the parts the other way around?" Right, right. <laughs> You have to understand, Sheriff, Tom Strickland's kind of a family fool. A little pressure and he's allowed to say anything. I wouldn't get too carried away with it. What did he say about me? Everything. He didn't say I killed nobody, did he? I just done the driving. I didn't kill nobody. Shut up, you stupid fool. You remember that poker shooting? You remember who got you off? You owe me. But I didn't kill Turner. You did that. I'm not going to hang for you. Shut up, I said. I don't know, John. Looks like the kingdom is beginning to crumble. You know, as a matter of fact, even for the last several years, not this year, unfortunately, because of the, the virus, but uh, we've been invited down to Andy's hometown in North Carolina, um, in, in Mount Airy, North Carolina, where he grew up and where he, what he essentially based Mayberry on. And they have what they call Mayberry Days, you know, one, every year in September. And it's grown into a week-long celebration where, where you know, uh, tens of thousands of people come to this small little town in North Carolina and uh, celebrate Andy and the Andy Griffith Show and things related to Andy. And they've invited us down, uh, my wife and me, to uh, to show Murder in Coweta County and another side of Andy. Um, <laughs> and uh, people do appreciate seeing it, but it shocks a lot of people. Right. It but did me. I, I Andy, saw it. Andy, <laughs> Andy is one of, and you don't think of him this way because Andy of Mayberry generally, but Andy is one of the great dramatic actors that I ever worked with. Um, he was so spot on. He, he was such a terrific actor and he wanted people to see that dramatic side of him because they had, you know, through, through all the years of the Andy Griffith show, they had forgotten that Andy could be a great dramatic actor and could border on on the bad side of things, yeah. as he did in his first movie, A Face in the Crowd, where he played this sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, wild and crazy uh, young guy who gets famous and goes a little nuts. Uh, this part of Lonesome Roads, which if you haven't seen it, go back and watch Andy in that. Um, and um, the interesting thing that always struck me about that, just a little aside that ties these two movies together, was that we filmed Murder in Queda County in uh, the end of 1982. It went on CBS in January of 1983. And then about, you know, four or five months later, we were in Vermont making The Gift of Love Christmas Story. Um, so I made these two movies within about six months of each other, right? And... It struck me later that A Face in the Crowd was Andy Griffith's first movie and it was Lee Remick's first movie. And they married each other in Face in the Crowd. Oh. So I'm now I'm getting to work with Andy Griffith and right after that with Lee Remick. Oh. <laughs> and their first and wife. films were together in this one movie where they married each other. So I That's thought that was pretty good. That was That's pretty weird. Cool. Yeah, that's weird because John, Johnny Cash was with his wife, June Carter Cash. So there's another married, real married couple. So that's kind of 
weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Leading, leading, you know, appear in in, uh, <laughs> in there. Yes, but yeah, in in uh, in Murray Queda County, of course, we had Andy and Johnny, and and John's wife June, and what would become Andy's wife Cindy. Um, really. Uh, if you remember the movie, um, that the the wife of the murder victim, who's holding their her little baby through the movie when she appears on and off, that's Andy's wife to be at the time. They got married six months later. Hmm. Did they meet on? The, did they meet making that movie? No, they had met before. Andy had sort of started his acting career in in a show in a perennial show you know he he owned land forever till the day he died on roanoke island in uh, in the outer banks of north carolina um he was always a north carolina guy and of course he had his houses in hollywood in california but he was always a north carolina guy by heart uh, at heart and um and he was born in this little town of mount airy and he bought land on roanoke island and he had that until till he died. Um, and on that island, they put on a show. Um, oh my God, I'm going to forget the name of the show now. But it's about the story of John Smith and uh, Pocahontas, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he he sort of had acted in smaller parts in it, and then worked his way up. And for years, he played like the lead role on this ongoing stage show on Roanoke Island. Well. At some point toward the end of his doing that, Cindy played another little part. She was like 24 years old or something when she did it. And that's where they met, um, doing this little um, stage show on Roanoke Island in North Carolina. So just a quick little funny story about that. And we can, we can talk about these stories if you want uh, with Johnny and Andy who are you know very different in their own ways from their public images. Um, but just relating to the wives, since we're talking about them, Johnny uh, tells us that in reading the script, he saw a great part for June Carter Cash to play, and he really wanted her to play that part, and she really wanted to play the part. Well, it was a very difficult part to play. Uh, if you've seen the movie, it's from this old, old soothsayer type woman you know who who supposedly could could uh, see things and and uh, and help solve crimes and god knows what and yes said absolutely not it's too important a part we don't know that june's you know a real actress and can handle that absolutely not and johnny would say to us absolutely yes we, <laughs> we want her to play that part <laughs> And so we had this tug of war for a while with, with CBS and, uh, and the great director that we had on that is, is a guy named Gary Nelson, who was one of the great television directors of that entire era, you know, of three or four decades. He, he directed every television series, television movie, God knows what that you can think of. Um, and a terrific guy, and Gary and I are friends to this day. Um, he's in his 80s <laughs> right now, but a wonderful guy, fabulous director. And, and he was a guy that the networks would come to all the time. So Gary said to the network, I will 
get in effect, get the part out of her. In other words, I will get what we need and I will, I will help her do this part. And, uh, and uh, CBS finally relented and said, well, okay, you know, Gary, we're gonna trust you to do it and, uh, and make it work. And uh, so June was cast as this part of Mahaley Lancaster. Well, now Andy found out that June was playing a part in the movie. So Gary is out on his boat in California near Catalina Island when he gets a call, you know, some ship to shore call from Andy Griffith. And Andy, Gary had worked with Andy before the way he had worked with Johnny on a, on a television movie before. And uh, so Andy says, Gary, I need you to cast Cindy. And I have the part all picked out for her in the movie. And, you know, I need you to cast her in it. And Gary, is, he tells us now, you know, he's sitting on his boat and he, and he says, Andy, you know, that's not really my decision, you know, and he's trying to push it off, you know, because Cindy had never acted in anything other than this little stage show on Roanoke Island. And Gary says, Andy, it's not up to me. And Andy said, no, Gary, you have to. You have to. This part is great for her, and I need you to do it. And, um, and, and Gary's trying to say, Andy, please, please, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. It's not up to me. Andy says, Gary, make an old man happy. That's what he says. Andy was 56 years old at the time. And he says, Gary, make an old man happy. <laughs> And uh, Gary finally he's, he thinks to himself, I'm not, I'm not arguing anymore. And he says, Andy, okay, okay. I'll see if I can make it happen. And we went back to CBS, which didn't care as much really about this much smaller part in, in it. And they said, well, okay, you know, if that's what Andy wants. <laughs> and that, so that's how the two, the wife and the wife-to-be um, got cast in the movie. But, but the two of them themselves, Johnny and Andy, couldn't find more different people, you know, if you tried. Um, Johnny had heard about that story, which is a true story, a, a, a well-known in the South, true murder story that happened in 1948 in Georgia, in rural Georgia. And uh, a newspaper reporter had written a book about it, you know, some good, you know, 10, 15 years later. And, uh, and Johnny had found out about the book and, um, and he thought I can play this great sheriff, this legendary sheriff from the South. And um, he couldn't get any traction on it until his agent came to us in, with it in New York and uh, said, Johnny really wants to do this. And, um, you know, and you've got the relationships with the networks and, you know, can we try and do this together? So we went to, we went to CBS, of course, and with Johnny attached to it already. And CBS said, okay. And we had a, a great writer do the script for that too. And, uh, and then um, uh, once Johnny was on board, of course, Johnny had done a, a one previous TV movie with Gary Nelson, the director. And, and CBS always wanted to work with Gary. So Gary came aboard. And once Gary and Johnny were aboard, then, you know, we had the idea of Andy, you know, potentially play the, the bad guy. And because he had worked with Gary before too, you know, he came aboard then 
him also. And um, they were both very anxious to play the parts that they did play. Johnny, of course, you know, has this man in black image of, uh, you know, going in and singing for the prisons, <laughs> you know, if in the for prisoners and, and all of that was the sweetest man in the world, even with all his substance abuse problems and whatnot, some of which he was having while we were filming, unfortunately. But um, um, he was I, I he was 50 years old at the time. And I said he's a 50 year old man in a 10 year old body. Uh, you know, 10 or he was a 10 year old, a 50 year old body, I should say uh, <laughs> the opposite. Right. Um, he was like a little kid. You know, he, he as the sheriff, he got to to wear a gun. He would walk around the set, you know, pointing his gun at the ceiling, you know, and, you know, and fake shooting. You know, he was just having the time of his life. Um, and um, and Andy. Because of, you know, he'd been sort of pigeonholed as Andy of Mayberry, you know, and the, and the good sheriff all that time, wanted, even found, interestingly enough, that after the Andy Griffith show stopped, he couldn't get much work because people only thought of him as Andy of Mayberry. Right. And he thought, I have to start to play some bad guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and people will see what I can do. And um, so, so he loved playing this, this, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, evil landowner in the, in the South um, who committed the murder uh, and thought nobody could touch him until this uh, sheriff, uh, you know, we got on his trail, and of course, I won't give the movie away. <laughs> yeah, Patrick needs to see it. It's a real. It's a not movie. that there's much secret to it, um, but but well, they, murder. <laughs> yes, they listen. They they and they 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 and Andy, if you knew him, you know, was not necessarily Andy of Mayberry. Andy was terrific with us, and we got along great. Um, and he was the most professional actor you can imagine fabulous on the set, but he was a tougher guy than people would realize, you know, and, uh, and, um, you know, a little more to himself, particularly with his young bride to be, um, you know, wasn't as outgoing necessarily during filming as Johnny and June were. Um, and, uh, uh, so they're very different than their, their, than their public images, but they were both turned out fabulous in that. Um, and uh, that also did fabulously well on CBS. But that was an example, going back to the beginning of the conversation, where that murder story was not appropriate for our advertisers, for either General yeah. Foods or, or, or Procter & Gamble. It would have been one of those movies that I went and screened beforehand and said, no, we can't be in it because of the murder. And uh, so we did it directly for CBS as a production company. And, uh, and that worked out great too. And that also did great ratings and showed for quite a while on the, on the network. And uh, it was, it was pretty was intense. To bring that one back too. Yeah, it was, it was an, an intense movie. I remember like that scene with the murder and I was thinking, I don't know how this got on regular TV. There were some aspects of that, that, you know, interestingly, there are some aspects that they allowed in those days that they wouldn't as easily allow now yeah. You know, yeah unless you did it you know on a streamer on netflix or something but but the the standards would have gotten much tougher on the broadcast networks so yeah. you know it was an interesting thing some things were a little more uh, 
you know, Puritan in those days and some things yeah. a little less. And yeah, we were talking about that even like with nudity and stuff in PG movies back in, the, you know, when they were doing those. I mean, um, like like Patrick had just talked about going to see the movie Swamp Thing and how there was like nudity in a PG movie. And, you know, it just it you don't see that today. <laughs> you don't even see it in a rated R movie anymore. You know? so it's like, yeah, they it, it seems like back then it, it would have been, you know, stricter, but it was it's almost reverse. Yes, yeah, which well, is in some ways less and in some ways things. more. You know, things, you, would, yeah. you, would, you would get, before you started filming, of course, you'd have to submit the script to the network. And we would get back a whole letter from the network standards and practices department. And you would, today you would laugh at these letters that say, you know, you're only allowed three hells and no dams, <laughs> you know. Um, in this scene, you can't, you know, this one can't be in bed while that one's there. Yeah. And it, 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 you, you'd literally break out laughing reading these things, but they were serious. And this is what they would allow and what they wouldn't allow. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, it's so cool. yes, it's a process to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat to hear how you, you make a movie because you know, I've never, I, you know, I've never been part of anything like that before. So it's really cool. Like, yes, well, people, you know, as they, as we, as we say, they don't realize what's, what's going, what's, yeah. what's going on just behind the camera lens, you know, right. from what the lens is showing them, you know, they, you, you're watching what's going on on screen and just behind that camera, there are a hundred, 150 people scurrying around doing literally 50 different jobs and yes. uh, all to make that try and happen, you know, on screen. For the finished product of what we see. the finished product. What about the soundtrack? Did, uh, did Johnny Cash do any of the, any of the music? No, 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 no he didn't. Uh, and, uh, on Coweta County, I believe it was a guy named Brad Fidel, who was a great uh, composer. Um, and uh, we, did, we didn't use any of Johnny's uh, songs in that. Um, it was just uh, just music. Actually, we didn't we didn't use songs at all, as I recall, in that just uh, just background scoring, which is an, an art form in itself that uh, composers have to learn that craft of how to how to provide music, music cues, they call it. You know, you need music from, you know, minute two to minute five, you know, <laughs> or you, you need music to just you know, punch in here and fade out there, and you know, all that sort of thing, um, which is something that they then work on with the director and the producer. And, you know, usually after the movie's filmed and we decide where, where, where we need music, that sort of thing. But uh, no, Johnny, Johnny was just being an actor <laughs> in that one. And, I, and as a matter of fact, I like to say at the time that, uh, that Johnny was a singer who liked to act a little and Andy was an actor who liked to sing a little. Right. Uh, Andy loved to take out his guitar and strum his guitar and sing gospel songs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so they, they played at each other's game. Um, Did they get along on the set? Did, did oh, well, know? that's an interesting question. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I was just debating whether, whether to mention that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I didn't know if Andy gave Johnny tips on how to be a good sheriff since he had a lot not of... Not really. No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, you got two guys coming from very different uh, uh, parts of the business, no less parts of the world. Um, Andy, a consummate actor, 
you know, and a tough sort of guy. Johnny, not really an actor at all, you know, and, um, you know, and a more warm-hearted, uh, you know, guy. And, and frankly, having some difficulties even at the time in, in the background. And um, they spent very little time with each other. I would say virtually none other than we, when we got them together um, uh, in, in several instances. Um, Johnny and June were nice enough to, to do a little concert, a mini concert for the cast and the crew um, one day. And, uh, and of course, Andy was there and we presented Johnny and Andy and Gary, the director with framed book covers signed by the whole cast and crew for, uh, for the three of them, which they, which they, they all appreciated. So they were together in an instance like that. In the movie itself, they don't even appear in scenes together all that often. Um, only maybe four or five times through the movie are they even in scenes together. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I, I saw it and I saw it right after you and um, Joanna were, were at my house and you brought it, you brought me a couple, uh, that, that movie and then the Force March movie. Right. Which, which I haven't seen because I know it's about the Holocaust and yes. I have to get, get, get myself wrapped around it. You know? In that frame of mind, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I'm never really in that frame of mind. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, so, but, I, but I, you know, I know it's another one of your movies that, and you, you wrote it. Yes. Um, yeah, and, um, and you went to Hungary to, yes, to film we, that? We, we, we filmed that in Hungary. We filmed about uh, eight weeks in Hungary and a couple of days in, in LA. And that was, that was quite an experience, you know, to- And Chris Sarandon's in it. He was a TV star, but no one believed he could act. So now you're gonna be a real serious actor, right? Yeah. Then he took a role. We're not gonna let you deny what you are. Have no mercy for these Jews. They are your problem. And his easy life would never be the same. Forced march. One actor driven to go beyond good. I don't believe it. The camera doesn't believe it. Goes beyond reason. What started as just another job becomes an obsession. Look at this. What the hell are you trying to do? It will change the way he lives. Hey, have a comfortable night. In the Hyatt. It will change the way he loves. I love you. I love you. It will change the way he thinks. We gotta fight back. Somebody has to fight back. That's not the way it's hey. going. You know it. When his pampered star lifestyle confronts the horrors of history, it ignites his courage to grow from a mere actor to a brilliant artist. Forced march, the role that shook his soul. Chris Sarandon uh, does a fabulous job, I think, in it, um, playing uh, playing another true character. It's uh, it that movie is partially true, partially not. Um, it tells the story essentially of a of a very famous Hungarian poet who, in Europe, as you might know, you know, great poets in those days were like star athletes are in America. Um, very well known. But he was Jewish, and um, not that he was a particularly devout Jew, this uh, fellow Radnoti, um, but 
obviously persecuted and and dragged away to labor camps uh, for it and um, and um, and eventually killed for it um, uh, during what they called a forced march when they was marching these prisoners back from uh, from Yugoslavia toward Germany uh, through Hungary uh, and um, so we wanted to tell that story I wanted to tell that story because this man's story was tremendously sad and affecting, but different in a way, because all the Holocaust movies that I had seen up till then, pretty much, um, maybe aside from the Diary of Anne Frank, and it's, it's similar in, a, in one aspect to that, had been where somebody tried to do something special, you know? Schindler's List, you know, Schindler saved a lot of a lot of Jews during that time. You know, somebody, you know, escaped from uh, from such and such prison camp. You know, that that sort of thing. What what this was was a man who just tried to survive as best he could through this horror, and he couldn't do it. And but he left his voice for all the rest of us. Because he was a poet, he scrounged up during his, his um, uh, time at the labor camp, a small notebook and a, and a little pencil. And he started writing poems during his, uh, his time at the labor camp. Tremendously affecting, of course. And then as they brought him on with others on this forced march. You know, they tired in the, in those days, just really quickly, Hungary was more of an ally to Germany. Um, so they didn't kill the Jewish men. They sent them to labor camps to help in the war effort. Um, and, but then, then, uh, then the, the Germans got tired of these Jews still living and they said, let's march them to Germany and to the concentration camps. So they, they picked them up from where they were in, in his particular labor camp in Yugoslavia and started them on what they called a forced march, uh, uh, literally walking from Yugoslavia through Hungary on their way to Germany. Um, and while he was on this agonizing forced march, Radnoti would write in his little notebook and he would write his poetry. And when he was finally killed during the march, he got too sick and with a bunch of others, they just shot them and buried them in a pit. Uh, I hate to be callous about it, but, that, but that's what happened. And when the bodies were found some years later, they found in his raincoat was this little notebook of poems. So this was true story? This is all true story. Wow. And so they <laughs> yeah. had, what we had was his voice from the moment, from the moment of being victimized and living through that horrendous situation till the day he died, he wrote his poetry and here it was in his pocket buried with him. Wow. So that's what we had and that's, that's what we wanted to tell. So for me, it was a way to tell the story of the people who couldn't survive instead of the ones who did. And it um, it's so sad, though. I mean, it's yeah, like, um, yeah. I think and it's like so, the movie. So we wanted, we, we, we wanted, though, to put it in, in some contemporary framework um, where it could, you know, where, where we now, the people who didn't live through that experience, 
you know, our fathers did, and grandfathers and parents, and, um, but we didn't, and uh, to help us understand it. So, so I actually put a, a movie within the movie framework around it, and I had Chris Sarandon playing a Hollywood actor, a pretty unfeeling Hollywood TV actor, who thought this is his chance to go over and play it a hero who died during the Holocaust. Was it on TV? They... No, uh, it was in, 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 uh, in the theaters. Um, not long enough, <laughs> but it was in the theaters. And then interestingly, I was contacted uh, by, uh, by one of my collaborators on that movie, who's a professor of film at NYU, uh, that he had shown the movie to the owner of a, of a well-known theater in New York um, called the Quad Cinema, and that that guy was very anxious to bring it back to the theater again and show it. This was 25 years later. Wow. And, uh, and we had just gone back to Hungary to show it three or four times over in Hungary for the 25th anniversary of it. And um, so I made an arrangement with the, with the theater owner and, uh, and I had to do all sorts of work on the movie to, to, uh, to uh, get it ready and digitized and all sorts of things. And we reopened it in New York. Um, this is now about uh, seven years ago. Um, and uh, so it reopened in the theater there. And from there, then I made a deal with a, with a DVD distributor and, and a streaming service. So from there, it went on Amazon and iTunes and onto DVD. And all of that, but but in that instance too, that was you know twenty five years later uh -huh. um, wow. after after originally doing it. That's cool. Like, so okay. yes, no, <laughs> totally different experience than Murder in Queen County, and certainly yeah. from the Gift of Love Christmas Story. Yeah, they're like the, yeah, <laughs> and and kind of night, kind of night and day. Yeah, yeah, and we should be like sticking with the Christmas because it's getting to be Christmas and the, the Holocaust isn't so so uh, so uh, happy. Uh, I mean, talk about the bittersweet <laughs> yeah. side of things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's for another. Yeah, well, you can watch it in March. You know. There. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There. Um, yeah. So, um, so your your company, A Films, is that um, is that where people can get like these movies through? Like, can they come to you to? If well, they, they could come that? to me directly as I as I first did when when uh, when I first put them on DVD. Yes, uh, you know, or or easier way, of course, is is just on Amazon. Though all the DVDs are on on Amazon. The streaming is on Amazon. In uh, uh, Force Mars case, they're also it's also on iTunes um, for the gift of love and for murder in Coweta County, as you mentioned, Patrick, a little while ago. The distributor, my distributor, is is starting to put them in some other streaming places like Tubi. Um, is that what on so Tubi? Any of those places, but if they wanted to get. For instance, some people have asked me for, you know, whatever reason, if I would sign the DVD for them. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> as, and, as you have. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm happy to do that. And in that case, the easiest way is to just get it directly from me. Right. Um, yeah. So then go on like your Facebook page and like the, there is a Facebook ask page. Ask either on the Facebook page for any of the movies or just send me an email at info at afilms.org. Um, and, um, yeah, because the the um the gift of love a Christmas story has a Facebook page. And, yes. So um, does so does Murder in Queen County. Does, okay. So does March. 
Oh, does it? Okay, I I, I saw the murder in Kuwaita County. Did I've I've been on it. Um, mm -hmm. but the but the um the gift of love a uh, Christmas story. Um, it would it makes a really good Christmas uh present for people, you know. So oh, I think so. You know, people people have uh, yes have have obviously come to me as Christmas season approaches. You know. Yeah. I, I think it's a great thing to put in a like a little basket with like some mugs with some hot chocolate packs and some homemade cookies and a maybe a cozy blanket, you know? It's a perfect uh, Christmas afternoon. Yeah. 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 Send me send me that, Lisa. Sounds no, great. I, I can't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, just, I got the, the movie. Of, I want the rest the of it. Right. You need the rest of the pack, uh, packet. Yeah. Some hot chocolate and some cookies. Okay. I'll see what I can I can do. Yeah. Well, Lisa, didn't you want to give away a copy of that movie? Yeah, we're giving away a a copy of uh, the gift of love a christmas story and our code word or words would be a secret place and we were one wanting um any of our listeners to like tell us if they have a secret place too I, and and dick atkins i don't know do, do you have a secret place or... <laughs> yeah but it's a secret <laughs> it's a secret you can tell us <laughs> okay yeah i'm trying to come up with one you know i've been trying to you know but uh yeah they, they can go a little pop ninja our facebook page can you know it's not very secret now but um yeah if they go on there and tell us th those words a secret place they could win a copy signed by you of the gift of love a christmas story so yeah sure that's great yeah it's awesome. awesome yeah we're so glad you did this too yeah well, Dick, we want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. And we hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas. And maybe someday we'll get you back on here and we'll talk some more about your uh, filmmaking. I want to thank our audience for listening. I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast today with Mr. Dick Atkins. And look for us next Wednesday. We're going to have a Christmas special with Billy Ray Bates joining us again. And we're going to talk about all those cool Christmas gifts toys you know that we got in the 70s and 80s growing up so don't miss it. it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh and go to our facebook page and maybe put some pictures up of you getting some toys back then show show what you got or or just talk about you know put a picture of your favorite toy like google a picture of it or something and and let us know what your favorites were and as we close out this episode i want to leave you with this final thought which is a quote from frank lloyd wright television is chewing gum for the eyes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs>